Welcome to the Truth in the Matters podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, and we are back for episode 131. Please, let's give a round of applause to all our new and consistent listeners. We thank you all in advance for continuing to press play, of course, at your own convenience. So... To be honest, I'm super excited about what I am discussing today. Of course, I've enjoyed my preparation this week. And my goal as I talk to you today is to be clear, passionate, and impactful as I disseminate this message to the masses. To anyone that presses play, and if you don't mind, you can tell a friend and hopefully... This is a blessing to them as well. And this is not the last time they press play on the Truth of the Matters podcast. So, in my preparation, I came to the conclusion that I believe this will be a blessing. Now, if you haven't listened to the podcast, I want you to know that in this podcast, I'm always providing scriptures. I have scriptures ready. Of course, for a point of reference so that you can follow along to see the practicality and the philosophical thought process that I went through to arrive at the conclusion that I'm making. Okay. I also pray that what I share will be useful to all who took the time to listen. Ultimately, that's all you can ever ask for, really. In other news, I hope and pray that everyone had a blessed Thanksgiving. And I also want to let you know that you should be giving yourselves grace because during this time of year, the holidays that are coming up, obviously, there's a lot of mixed emotions that are transpiring, if you're being honest. Think about it, right? You're seeing family that you haven't seen in a while. You're finding yourselves talking to family that you haven't seen in a while. Through the art of conversation, you're finding yourself agreeing and disagreeing over different topics that are brought up at the dinner table or just mingling in general. You're enjoying good food, but you're also reflecting upon what you're thankful for. Let's not, you know, ignore this portion also. I'm pretty sure some of you are wondering, why does it take a holiday such as this for you to want to gather and want to discuss life and talk about things? Why can't we stay in constant contact and speak on a regular basis? That way, we're not looking at the holiday as an excuse to gather and talk to one another. These are the things that you're contemplating about. These are the things that are going through your mind as these holidays approaches. And you're having to deal with people that you don't normally discuss and talk to, to talk to about things. And I'm only bringing this up because these are some of the thoughts that go through my mind. Family is much more bigger than that. We should be talking. Not because of the holidays, 
but because we're family and we should be desiring to stick together and bond with one another outside of just the holidays. And we shouldn't just look to the holidays as just as an excuse to want to talk to one another. So I'm bringing this up because obviously I think this is something that a lot of us are thinking about and have thought about, but it's never raised. So maybe the encouragement needs to be regulated where people are considering the fact that this is family. I care about them. I love them. And let's not just look to the holidays for us to connect again. Let's try to see how one another is doing outside of the holidays. Again, let's see how one another is doing outside of the holidays. So, with that being said, let's continue with a segment that I brought up, and that is how the Lord has blessed me. And I'll start by saying, the Lord has blessed me by giving me favor. And for those who know, through the past, I want to say, three episodes, I came out of a tough season where I made a large investment into my car. And I can say thus far, every day this week, I've been given favor and received high tips from customers. And I know that's God. I know it's God because he's blessing me and he's providing a way. And as a hardworking individual, I know my job is to show up and make the best out of what is available. And I'm hoping, obviously, to build my money back up and make these payments that I have. Now, obviously, it was a process, but as long as I show up again to work, I believe God is going to bless my hands as I put them to work. Even if I have to work longer hours, I'm here for it. So let's begin with prayer before we dive into the scriptures. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for favor, for grace, as we continue to live life. We thank you for seasons of, seasons of prosperity and for seasons of long suffering. We thank you for the seasons of peace and for the seasons of reflection. We thank you for friends, family, community, even enemies. Bless us today as we go to your word. I pray for understanding and wisdom. Ask for guidance into your truth. Lord, we ask you these things in honor and with reverence towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there will be quite a bit of reading of scriptures today. So if you're following along, I encourage you to take a pen and paper out or play this episode again because I have a lot to share, a lot of references so that you can truly understand the perspective that I'm coming from. And obviously, this is after long hours of spending time with the Lord in the scriptures. So I'm going to try to take my time as I walk through this so that you can understand what I am implying about. So let's begin by addressing the application and or principle faith my goal today is to address the application and or principle of faith what I mean by application is the action of putting something into operation 
What I mean by the application is the action of putting something into operation. When I talk about principle, I'm speaking of a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. I'm going to repeat that as well because I know that's a mouthful. When I talk about principle, I'm speaking of a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. Three weeks ago, we talked about God's willingness to act through our faith. Today, I want to talk about what does our faith look like from a practical application standpoint. Now, I've mentioned it several times, but I want to point it out in the text for today so that you can see the importance of how to apply your faith. Now, the biblical definition of faith that we're going to look at and unpack is in Hebrews 11.1. 1. And of course, this is the definition that most people reference to when asked to define faith. And I want to give you some practicality in reference to this. So follow along, please. I'm going to take my time here. Now, the verse says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So let's break this down philosophically. The word substance means the essential nature underlying phenomena, which is subject to change and accidents. The word substance means the essential nature underlying phenomena, which is subject to changes and accidents. So when we talk about phenomena, we're talking about occurrences or manifestations without human input. These events are rare and, of course, unusual. This is where we can safely say that a miracle, a divine intervention happens, right? The hand of God is present. And, of course, he steps in on your behalf or someone else's behalf. So when the scripture says faith is the substance, it's speaking of a moment where things are subject to change due to your faith and allowing God to address the issue. The word there in in the definition of substance, you also have accident. Now, the word accident simply means an event that happens by chance or that is without apparent or deliberated cause. The word accident simply means an event that happens by chance that is without apparent or deliberated cause. So there isn't something that causes anything. It's by chance, which is very well defined as unpredictable. And the next portion says substance of things Hope for the definition of hope is simply a feeling of trust, a feeling of trust. So when you put it all together, we are trusting in the application or principle of faith 
Things are subject to change based upon what we are hoping for. So when we put it all together, we are trusting that in the application or principle of faith, things are subject to change based upon what we are hoping for. This is why having faith requires us to be confident in God. And we do this by trusting in God. This is why having faith requires us to be confident in God. And we are doing this by trusting in God. The scripture says, God is not a man that he should lie. Therefore, God must be trustworthy. Correct? He's the opposite of man. We can place our faith in God after all because man is flawed. But God is not. The thought process between between man and God is not the same. Jesus said, I am above, you are below. He spoke about the distance in terms of the consideration. Man has this ability to have to go through a process. God doesn't have to go through a process. Nothing ever occurs to God. There's no comparison between God and and man, Romans chapter 3 verse 4 says, Let God be true and every human being a liar. Other translations say every man to be a liar. Now the last portion of the definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1 1 states, The evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. Evidence is anything that can be used to prove something. Let's go even deeper here, right? The scripture says a lot of things. But for starters, let's go here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. And it says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles but to those who God has called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength so for those that have engaged in conversations about God the evidence argument has been a thing for a long time so no brainer. That is where people point to. Okay. The answer to this answer in reference to evidence has never been the evidence that we point to. I'll repeat that again. Based upon the evidence argument, the believer should never Look for evidence because that's never been the answer. The truth of the matter is, it's always been about, it's always been about God revealed. It's never been about God. It's never been about us trying to provide evidence of God's existence. It should always be about us desiring to show them and point them. That is about God revealing himself to them. Now, I understand the Case for Christ book that is out there. That's fine. But I'm talking about in terms of scripture, in terms of the biblical narrative, 
it's never been about the desire to provide evidence. It's been about the desire to understand that it's about God being revealed, not about providing evidence. And I'll explain that a little bit as we go on. The next passage I want to mention is Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 42. And I want you to hear this. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now when they say a sign, they want a piece of evidence. Verse 39, he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none would be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the bell of a huge fish, so the Son of Man would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. So what Jesus is pointing to and talking about is the repentance and the behavior based upon someone God used in a context. And he's speaking about himself being greater than those people, right? And he's also pointing to Jonah obviously being a foreshadowing of Christ, the signification of being in the well of a belly for three days and three nights and of course Christ being crucified and obviously the resurrection portion of it but he's pointing to that story and saying that is the only evidence you're going to have there would be no literal sign that would be convincing for you to believe me now verse 39 is clear it says none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So since Jesus said none would be given, us as believers need to understand that we should not be looking for it. I repeat that again. Jesus said none would be given. So don't go looking for signs other than what was provided through the story and the prophet of Jonah. We need to understand Jesus is not performing a magic trick so that you can see him. That's not what it's about. You know, in Corinthians and Acts, it talks about these things were written in the past for your benefit. I'm talking about Corinthians 10 is a portion about what we learn in the past. And then there's a portion in Acts that speaks about the same thing. Learning about what was written to benefit us in the present and therefore providing us answers so that we don't go back looking for something else outside of what's already been provided. And if we have hold on to our faith, then it should be enough, okay? Now, this is why Jesus points the Jews to the resurrection, which according to Paul is a stumbling block. This is why Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're gonna look at 
excuse me, chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the then of the dead, then none, not even Christ, has been crucified. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For if we have testified about God, that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is fruitile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pity. So the reason why I bring this passage up again, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 through 19, because this is a domino effect, which means everything occurs for a reason. And in this case, the dominoes fall with each one impacting the other. And this is why Paul is stressing this, that if there's no resurrection from the dead, then we're in our sins. And if we are in our sins, then when we've never been redeemed, and if we've never been redeemed, then we are lost. And if we are lost, then our faith is fruitile. Okay. Now, why is it a stumbling block for Jews? Why is this a stumbling block for Jews? Well, the way Jesus appeared and went about his business, it wasn't the way they thought the Messiah would be. It wasn't what they perceived. And as a result, they rejected him. Now, some haven't. And some have. The percentage amount, I do not know. However, biblical history tells us that they were expecting a man of war like David or Joshua and thought Jesus would take the kingdom by force. And he didn't. And therefore, they're questioning who he is and what he has done. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not receive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas verse 24 also known as Didymus one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came is that a coincidence no 
There's a reason for that. There's a story. This is why the story was written. So we can learn from this. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, catch this, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nails marked in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So what is he looking for? Evidence. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This story is beneficial for those who are questioning the legitimacy, which means God understood and knew that this would be a thing. So what happened? The situation was provided. You don't think Jesus knew that Thomas wouldn't be there? Of course he knew that. Of course he knew that. It was intentional. The focus here isn't about seeing. It's about believing without seeing. This passage was written down for our benefit so that we can learn from it. This is how that passage applies to situations and predicaments currently now. We do not need to feel for the marks in his side and hand. The example of Thomas should be teaching us not to see things to believe when it comes to God, but to have faith without the evidence. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. This is what Paul writes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the focus should not be on what you're able to see. If that's the case, who could deny its truth? It's about trusting in what you cannot see, which from Hebrews eleven six says, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visual. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. And I'm going to read verses 13 through 32. Of course, I said there would be a lot of reading today. But no worries. If you follow along, you won't get lost. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. After seven miles from Jerusalem. Can you believe it? They used to walk seven miles. Like it was nothing. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. 
as they talked and discussed things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing. This is what I'm talking about, the difference between revealing and evidence. He wasn't revealed to them. They did not know who he was. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Of course, he knows what they was discussing, but of course he's playing along and he's having a conversation with them. They stood still, their face downcast. One of them named Cephas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and dead, indeed, before God and all of the people. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. So they referred to Jesus as a prophet. That's it. Verse 20. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But... We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So here's a disciple, Peter, Lucifer, talking about he was a prophet, talked about how he hoped that he was the Messiah. He thought he was the Messiah. And when things came to fruition in this short period of time, he lost hope. They were downcast. Verse 22, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They were, they went to the tomb early this morning, verse 23, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So here it is. Peter's telling this story. And throughout the story, you see how they lost faith. Throughout the story, you see how they looked at the situation and didn't think it was worth considering the truth of it. Right? The women, Mary, and them told them what transpired, and there was still doubt. Verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So now he's questioning the legitimacy of their faith. Why? Because everything that's been spoken up until this point, the prophecy that's been fulfilled up until this point, they didn't believe. Verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? This is something Jesus told him before he went on as well. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly even the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table, with them he took bread gave thanks broke it and began to give it to them think about what's transpiring 
This is the last time Jesus actually at the, the last supper, right? At the last supper, he did exactly the same thing. And look at verse 31 through 32. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Which means there was a pattern that transpired here. They were at the table at the Last Supper where Jesus dipped the bread in the dish and they drank the wine to signify communion. And here it is. After he has risen, he sat with them and he broke bread with them. And then they realized who he was. It was revealed to them. Sort of like the scriptures, right? We'll get to that. But the revealing of the moment that was shared jogged their memory. Was it evidence? It was the revealing, right? So we get here to verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Interesting verse. Now I want to skip down a bit and read this next portion. Same chapter. Let's go from verse 36 to 49. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you why does doubt rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself touch me and see a ghost. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And why they were still did not believe, believe it because of joy and amaze. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that it is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. Verse 49. I am going to send you my father send to you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high the reason why i read verses from luke 24 is because evidence isn't what got the disciples to believe it it was jesus revealing himself that did now obviously what jesus did that i thought was quite natural was that they thought they saw a ghost. So what does Jesus do to get rid of that concept? 
he says, do you have something to eat? And he ate in front of them. And he asked, does ghosts, are ghosts able to eat? No. He talked about flesh and bone that he has, that is like theirs. So they were shocked But what Jesus did to clear their conscience was that he ate something that they would eat to show them that, hey, the same period in time that I was with you, I am that same person. When Jesus revealed himself, they understood and their eyes were open to accepting the truth. Something obviously that was shocking to them and it would be to most people. He provided he provided something that they needed and he revealed himself to them in a way. And he unfortunately did something that they thought might have been impossible, being that they thought he was a ghost at first. Now, verse 31 says, then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Go to verse 45. It says, then he opened their minds so that they can understand the scriptures. So, again, it took Jesus revealing himself and it took Jesus opening up their minds. It wasn't about providing evidence. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verses 13, 13 through 15, this. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they did not see. Though hearing, they did not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Verse 15. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they, hard, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I will heal them. He's talking about the clarity and the understanding of how a person ought to act once they recognize the truth. Then they can do all those things. But because they don't recognize the truth, they fail to be able to be complied with what he just read, which shows that there's an issue here. Now, Here's what I want to do. Here are four passages of scripture that help me see the application of faith. Four passages. Again, for those who haven't heard me say this, I'll say it here. The practical definition of faith that I've given is that faith is what? A reason, trust, an enduring process, and an inherent or knowledge. Faith is a reason, trust an enduring process, and an inherit foreknowledge. Lastly, faith is a reason trust, an enduring process, and a inherent foreknowledge. Let's begin by Hebrews 11.3. I've mentioned earlier, but this is part of the verses that help me practically understand what faith is. By faith... We understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This is a reason trust. Why? Well, it starts with the saying by faith. 
which means it is not by sight that we believe what God has done. Therefore, there needs to be an understanding that God is a God who is unseen and yet has the capacity to bless people, situations, and realities without physically needing to be there. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 6 for it says. Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 6 for it says. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who is, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So even though God is unseen, that doesn't stop him from making things happen for you. We'll see how that transpires with the Roman ruler who did exactly was what was mentioned here. We'll get to that. Let's go to Hebrews 11.6 for it says. Hebrews 11.6 for it says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is an inherent foreknowledge. I believe deep down, those who pray do so with knowledge that they must believe that God is real in order for God to answer their prayers. Even though they may not know who they are praying to, they still are attempting to reach out to God without a relationship because their circumstances have humbled them to this point that they are now realizing that God is the only answer to their problems. But more importantly, this is their last resort. Inherently, deep down, most believe that there is a God. The question becomes, how do we understand God? And what is the name of this God? Some believe it's a woman. Some believe it's multiple gods. When you start getting into religious circles, there's different definitions of what they believe God is. Here on the truth of the matter is, we believe Jesus is God. Unequivocally, right? We believe that Jesus is God. Now, those who have decided not to believe in God, that idea usually comes from their misunderstanding of God, usually is out of anger as well, and therefore they resort to the idea of God not existing, and would feel inclined to say things like, if God were here, how could he allow bad things to happen to me, right? And they go on and on and on with these different ideas. But deep down, the idea of God is ingrained in everyone. People normally just move away from God because of ideas like God doesn't love me, God doesn't want what's best for me, etc. Et now those who draw near to God do so because of the right ideology, the right 
biblical understanding, the right theology. Okay. Another thing here to expand on when it comes to the inherent foreknowledge claim. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 21, it says, The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. The truth of the matter is, we were formed to, de to declare praises to God. We were formed to give him glory and honor. What does praise and worship mean? Praise is the expression or approval of admiration for someone or something. Which means, since we were created to worship, there are things we naturally do as a result of desiring to do that. That's part of our makeup. There's also an awareness that many have about what they hear, seen, or know as it relates to personal transformations and how it couldn't have been anyone else but God. And as a result of that, you recognize the change and the transformation in that individual from what and how you've known them. And you're, it's undeniable that God has changed that person's life. And I believe there are people out there that recognize the transformation. I believe the issue has always been that avenue of how God is willing to communicate. And that's through our act of faith. Which is a reason trust, which we talked about in episode 128. This avenue obviously isn't universally accepted and doesn't sit well with people. Therefore, that's the reason you have those who are not willing to conform to God's rules and his regulations and what he has to say for your betterment, for your understanding and for your well-being. Matthew 7, 7. NLT specifically, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. This is a reason trust and an enduring process, right? Galatians 6, 9 speaks about don't become weary in doing good for you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. This is all about effort. And finally, Hebrews 11 Verses 35 through 44 says, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sold into two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheep's kings and goats' kings, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the desert and the mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their what? Faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us will they be made perfect. This is an enduring process and inherent foreknowledge and a reason, trust, and understanding how people were able to apply the application of faith confidently and boldly, regardless 
on what transpired when it came to them. Those who had faith received punishment. They were killed. And yet that did not impact their belief. They endured to the end, regardless of what happened to them, which means they had foreknowledge knowing what would happen and stood on their convictions when it came to Jesus Christ. And Matthew chapter eight, we discussed Jesus healing a man with leprosy, the faith of a Roman officer. This is where we get into that portion and the healing of Peter's mom-in-law and the deliverance of those who were demon-possessed dealing with spiritual attacks. The man who was healed of leprosy heard of Jesus, right? He had to hear of Jesus and knew what he was capable of. Therefore, he had the foreknowledge and awareness of Jesus and active with reason to believe it was possible. All he needed to do was acts if Jesus was willing. So as you can see, in faith, he heard about Jesus. In faith, that was the reason for him to do so. In faith, he was willing to do what was necessary for him to encounter Jesus. That's how he acted in faith. That was the application of faith that he implemented. He foreknew who Jesus was at the time who didn't in that particular region. He foreknew who Jesus was, which means he understood the capabilities that Jesus could provide him relief, right? He was enduring. What was he enduring? The leprosy problem. So in faith, through his foreknowledge and his reason trust, he pursued Jesus. And all he needed to hear was Jesus' willingness to do so. To make him whole again. The Roman officer had a foreknowledge and awareness of Jesus and looked at his circumstance and abilities and authority and compared it to what Jesus was obviously capable of doing. And he believed it. He even knew it didn't require Jesus to be there for it to happen. What I talked about earlier is that when we ask for Jesus, we ask things from Jesus. We don't need to be in a church. We could be in a car. We can be in a house. We don't need to be close to the church to ask God for things. And in fact, it doesn't matter where you are. When you ask Jesus for something, it doesn't matter. Why does it matter? Because Jesus is capable of fulfilling what you ask him regardless of where you are and where the situation is from what i remember the scripture says in that same hour he was healed it was done jesus was so impressed that he got it because what did he do practically reasonably he looked at his own ability and authority to do something and recognized jesus's ability to do whatever he needs to do and therefore it didn't require all that he understood based upon reflecting upon his own ability to instruct people he said i have shoulders under me when i tell them to go they go when i tell them to do this they do this he understood the concept 
and through understanding that concept and through understanding that who Jesus was, he understood what Jesus had the ability to do. When Jesus said, all power has been given to me by my father, he understood that. He knew. He knew what Jesus could do for him. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. What was she going through? She was enduring. She was suffering. And as people who suffer all the time, right? We understand eventually it will subside. But guess what? In the midst of her suffering, right? She's had a fever. Who hasn't had a fever? If you had a fever, you understand that it is a process to allow it to take its course. Peter's mom knew that. And guess what? In faith, she believed it would pass. What she didn't anticipate was that when Jesus showed up, he would speed the process up and take it away just like that. What do we talk about when it comes to faith? Faith can change the occurrence, the outcome. The occurrence can be taken away just like that. That's the benefits of the experience of seeing how God, if he is willing to address your issue at high speed, or in some cases, it takes place progressively. Those who were delivered believed in Jesus and what he could do. Now, the point of this episode is to understand that the application or principle of faith that we have in Jesus is not a blind faith. It can't be a blind faith. It's a reason trust. There's something to gain from the experience good and bad and there's a reason behind it as students i'm pretty sure that we're learning about that there's a foreknowledge of your faith deep down there's an awareness of it and finally there's an enduring process that you will have to grow through not go through grow through just because you have faith that doesn't mean you won't suffer just because you have faith that does not mean you won't suffer you have to endure Keep in mind that faith is an action. It's what you do to understand the confrontation. Once you process the practicality of it, the choice will be yours. And don't us don't underestimate the moment. Don't underestimate the moment when it comes up. Embrace it and grow through it not go through it grow through it allows you not only to reflect on a moment but utilize it as fervor to get through the next moment that arrives every time we grow through something god is providing us reasons to continue to trust him continue to believe in him why because then that becomes evidence of you that becomes evidence for you to not only be a walking testimony, but to see God reveal himself in moments. On your behalf, in those moments, your faith is strengthened. So, it doesn't start off with having evidence. It starts off with God revealing himself in those moments for you to understand that. And therefore, it's evidence to you that he's shown up this time. He's shown up that, that time. He's going to continue to show up for you. Keep that in mind. 
And never let someone tell you. Let no one tell you that what you're going through or what you're experiencing is not true. Appreciate the moment and address it accordingly. Now, with that being said, I know we went through a lot. I encourage you to go back, play this episode again as many times as you need. Take notes if you haven't. If you have questions, disagreements, of course, reach out to me. I'm not on a high horse when I can't be reached. My information is in the description of the podcast, regardless of how you listen to it, whether it's Google, whether it's Apple, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Spotify, I'm accessible through TikTok, through Instagram, through my Facebook group called I'm a Believer. It is in the show notes. And now, without further ado, of course, I want to say this, don't be shy. You'll find out that I'm, I love this stuff. I love talking about God. I love digging into scriptures. I love, I love it so much because not only does it encourage me to go back and learn more and more and more, I, I feel like I grow closer to God when I'm in the scriptures. And with that being said, I hope that you can have that same passion and fervor that I have for God in your own way, however that way may be. And with that being said, we're going to finish with devotional time. Galatians chapter 5, verses 5 through 6 says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await for faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Now, faith is the only thing that pleases God. And therefore, the believer must learn how to apply the application of faith. I hope after this conversation today, you can see that how the examples provided in the scriptures, you can see that. When we draw near to God sincerely, we have full assurance that through faith and the act of repentance, God will show us grace and mercy, therefore cleansing us and convicting us to get back on track and to try again and living right through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here's a here's a prayer to close us out. Lord God, in Jesus' name, I pray that the relationship between every individual who has placed their faith in you grows. I pray that they continue to trust in you above all else. Father God, there is no limit with you because all things are possible with you and all things are possible because you are God and God alone. All those in agreement say, in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.